Yeah. I'm Colleen Smith. I'm Mary Jo Smith. No, no relation. relation. Uh, with us, as always, is Ian Dr. Phone Smith, yes. related to right. me. Hey, <laughs> he speaks. Yeah, making sounds. Uh, we have Jean Marie Black. We have Chase Winton. And we have Pavi Tamu Bryant. I said everyone's name correctly? Yes. Good. Very well done. Yes. Tonight's, today's, whenever you're listening to it, yeah. it's theme. The is, theme is? You said, I feel like I talk too much at the beginning of these things. Not at all. <laughs> the theme is uh, sexism. Uh, and we first have time we only lady it. guests. Yeah. yeah, first time we dealt with it. Yeah. Or were aware of it or appreciated it. it yeah. or lived it. Yeah. Survived it. So I have... I've there was an echo from headphones. Yeah. I have um three things that uh one I have, was told about, one I've experienced on a constant, and then um one I distinctly remember. So the first thing was um I was born in Korea and for the first two and a half years of my life we lived in Korea. And apparently for the first year of my life I had just peach fuzz, just like red peach fuzz. And everywhere my mom went with me. On people, your head, you mean? Oh, yeah, on my head. Yeah. yeah, just my entire body. <laughs> it was like a, a baby orangutan. Clarifying? Uh, orangutan, sorry. Orangutan. Um, so everywhere I went, uh, apparently my mom was bombarded with people who thought, complimented her on her son or thought I was a boy. <laughs> and then um, she would insist that I was a girl and they wouldn't believe her. I don't know why. I don't know why you would assume that this woman was lying. But they thought she was lying. And it would get to the point where she would have to literally show them my vagina to convince them that I was wow. a girl child. Oh now, I don't know why anyone needs that much uh, like encouraging or convincing. I have zero idea. Um, maybe it was just a weird pederast trick on military <laughs> base. <laughs> Uh-huh. Maybe, uh, maybe because we were in Korea, and and um, I don't know that Korean babies are born with more hair than a very Irish babies. But what level of hair could I have had that would have convinced them? I don't know any babies that have like a bob. Like, where, <laughs> but I remember my mom would tell me the story, and I would always think, would always plant that seed in my head of like, you're not feminine enough. You weren't even feminine enough when you were a newborn baby. Oh. Um, and that's what society wants from you. I know, it's sad and tragic, as is sexism. Um, <laughs> the second well, thing that kind well of, ex- yeah, that kind of explains why I grew up, or I was born in, in Korea, is um, my parents were in the military. Now, I grew up in Hawaii. We moved from Korea to Maryland to Hawaii. And people are constantly asking, um, so... You, your dad was in the military, and I'll be like, yes, my dad was in the military, but the reason we moved to Hawaii is my mom was in the military. And they're always surprised. They're always surprised that there's two officers in my family, but also that my mother was in the military. Now, I was born in 1979, was raised in the 80s and 90s. Women were back in the workplace. It wasn't, I wasn't the 40s. Right. Uh, and even then they were in the workplace because of Rosie the Riveter. And, um, and also I think it wasn't just that, but it was also that idea that my mom's career could affect where our life went. Mm-hmm. Like usually the dad gets a move to the factory or the plant or whatever. Right. Wait, where was your dad? My dad was there. They were both officers in the army, but my mom is the one who got transferred. And it's a question that up until recently has always been, you grew up in Hawaii? Why, was your dad in the military? Yes, but, but so was my mom, and that's why we moved to Hawaii. Recently, people now say... Um, That's oh, interesting, though, but it's always, was your dad was in your the dad military? Was your dad in the military? Right. And I probably would not have noticed it if I didn't have a mom in the military. 
but it became annoying that they just constantly assumed mm-hmm. that it was my dad and that my mom couldn't be in the military. I know there are more men than women in the military, but still, people now, I guess have, there's growth that people now say it was one of your parents in the military. And I say, yes, my mom, both of them were, but my mother's why we were transferred there. So that's just my kind of weird, strange things that exist. But my real memory, which I think a lot of women are going to have as their thing, was I was in third grade and I was in gym class. And Mrs. G, and you always know it's a cool teacher when they go by one letter. <laughs> Just the letter, yeah. <laughs> um, Mrs. G was our gym teacher, and I liked her, but I remember that having this distinct feeling one day in gym class that she favored the boys. I cannot remember, and I've had it with a lot of female teachers throughout my life and my education, where you can see them and distinctly recall them giving... Uh, letting boys off with worse behavior, giving them more attention, giving them more affection, um, assuming that uh, if you do well as a girl, that's fine. If a boy does well, it deserves all this praise. And when a girl falls behind, that's fine because she's a girl. And when a boy falls behind, he needs to work. Um, and those are things that as I got older became much clearer. And I remember more distinctly and clearly. But this one, I don't remember exactly what happened. I remember it was either something like, Sometimes you got special responsibilities, like you got to put the balls away, which means you didn't have to go back to regular class as quickly. And I either didn't get that responsibility, or it was something like, oh, girls, put the balls away. The boys are still playing a sport. Hmm. So something to that effect. Something that happened where I distinctly remember this, and the girls of my class, and we were tiny Catholic school, so there were probably about four of us, gathered together and, and, and had a, like a, a speech with each other. And it's possible it's entirely me riling, riling them up. But I was mad, and, and I was incensed. And Mrs. G had always liked me, but I have this weird relationship with all physical education people, is I'm very tall and very uncoordinated, so they're excited <laughs> to meet me and then very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> raised and then dashed and then they just learn I'm uncoordinated and mouthy the last thing they want so um I just remember a great injustice and uh the this tiny school I went to the teachers had cubbies and you could put notes in their cubbies and they would give notes and cubbies and sometimes they would send you to the office to give another teacher a note via these cubbies so I wrote this angry note that was like, Mrs. G, you are uh, meaner to the girls and you are to the boys. You are not fair. And if you have a problem with this, you can call my father. <laughs> and, then I wrote, what? and then I wrote down my phone number. <laughs> nice. I didn't sign it. So, so there was anonymity. Anonymity, anonymity for, but here's my phone number. But here's my phone yeah. number. And... I know that well, I was telling, retelling this story to my sister. She's like, of course you picked the male figure. But I was like, no, I picked my father because my father is the person who taught me to yell at people and to uh, use your mind to intimidate and destroy other humans. Um, so, of course, if this woman was... Great life lessons. <laughs> but it's also one of the reasons I think that I was, I'm very empowered is um, both of my parents... Um, were like this, but my dad, uh, for as critical as he could be, or as mean as he could be, or as passionate, or whatever, there was never this, oh, you're my precious baby girl. Mm-hmm. It was like, you need to be as good as you can be. You need to be as smart as you can be. You need to be as much of this as you can be. There was never this excuse of anything. Like, he just, he didn't like excuses. He didn't give himself excuses. I mean, he had all sorts of problems, but he he raised us that way. My mom did, too. Um, 
but there wasn't a sense, at least I didn't get, my older sister might disagree, but I didn't get a sense of like, you're a girl, therefore this is what's expected of you. It's like, you're a human being, this is what you're supposed to be. And human beings don't necessarily get emotional or manipulate people with emotions, which is its own separate podcast. But uh, human beings stand up for themselves and for the greater good. And I was, and I knew my father stood up to the, for the greater good, so she should call him. So they use their deductive reasoning of instantly calling my father and finding out who wrote the note. And... <laughs> Uh, and I don't remember how it played out other than I'm pretty sure the conversation probably went, my father going, well, did you? What have you been doing? Uh, and that, you know, some, some level of that and then some confrontation between me and her where I had betrayed her or made her feel bad and me crying. Because, of course, uh, now I could articulately say to the woman, like, I get it. You want men to approve of you. You've been programmed. I've been programmed. I think my worth is in being thin and liked. Uh, but at the time, <laughs> but at the time, all I could do was probably be like, I was just trying to, and you, and not be able to articulate it because I'm eight and just crying because now I've gotten, my temper got me into this place. Right. And now the fallout from that temper is like that horrible sadness of like, I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And adults will totally make children feel bad by talking, like talking to them like they're adults, which is a good thing, but I also think it's a bad thing because they're talking about emotions that they understand and their children don't. Yeah. Um, so I just remember that. And then I remember, I think Mrs. G forgave me. I went through my yearbooks and uh, we would only get the last three years of our school yearbooks. Uh, so I only have sixth, seventh and eighth grade, but she signed my sixth grade yearbook. It was her last year there. And she wished me all the best. So um, Generic, but kind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I guess we mended fences, um, but that's that to me are those are the first three things. But that's the first time I remember I faced it, I challenged it, I stood up for myself, and then cried like a girl. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my story. Hey. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Hi, Jean. Hi. Well, my story isn't like an intense, like, sexism has really limited my <laughs> options in life. I couldn't shatter the glass ceiling as a CEO. Uh, no, mine is super blue collar and trashy. Um, this is why we like you. Yeah. Um, after college, I had a job in the next town over that from where I grew up. North Reading, Massachusetts. And uh, it was this Italian restaurant called <laughs> Restaurant. And I had seen, it had been there since like the 40s. It's like a landmark. Everyone went there. I used to always want to go there when I was a grown up, when I was little. <laughs> and then I uh, was a bartender after college. Degree going to great use. Um, <laughs> what was the degree in? I was a mathematician. No, uh, no, um, communication studies. <laughs> you know, one of the really demanding majors. Um, but I got a job there as a bartender and I was the only female bartender there and the men were all, and I was, I guess I was 22 and the men were all older and all extreme alcoholics. Uh, <laughs> and it was kind of like the employees. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, and, well, and the clientele, yeah. but yeah. Um, because it had a very active bar scene, and um, it was a very auspicious day, actually, when I first started, because everyone was very happy, because 
uh, the owner is family owned. The father had recently been released from prison. <laughs> the son was soon getting out um, for dealing coke out of the business. Jesus. <laughs> it was like a kind of like tertiary mob, like not a real, you know, it was just that kind of gritty, weird, I don't know. But um, but my eye doctor went there. I was like, he goes there, must be good. <laughs> wow, my my doctor drinks a lot of martinis. Uh, but anyway, so everyone was very happy there, and I instantly was like, okay, this place is weird. And then instantly, one of the family members it's, came up to me, this really, I don't know what to call it, unpleasant little woman who was a little older than me, but still young. And she instantly came up to me, and, she, and she's like, she's like, uh, stay away from my husband. It was literally like my first day. I was like, okay, this job is going to be amazing. There's like Coke and prison and jealousy when I haven't even uttered a word. I love it. Um, but anyway, I worked there for a while and we we're all supposed to share tips, you know, that kind of thing. And then I started noticing a pattern. I would always share my tips cause I'm dumb. Um, <laughs> But You're just a dumb girl. The, I'm a real stupid little yeah. girl. <laughs> and, um, you can't see Jean, but she is blonde. Yeah, yeah totally. It's so, double, double, double whammy. Double Wicked bad. Um, <laughs> but then I would notice them, like certain, it was like usually like on the weekends when people start drinking their pay, well, Thursday night was a weekend. People start drinking their paychecks mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. And the bar would be like four deep with people all like, getting hammered literally on their paychecks and like there was a different crowd for thursday because some people got paid on thursday and some people got paid on friday um but i just would notice certain people giving tips and like just being like this is for you like to the other people and i noticed them like divvying up their money separately it was all like all right whatever i like have the same job as them but they are acting completely like i'm an insignificant you know problem to them and <laughs> The most intense, they were all like kind of, they were all alcoholics. Um, but the, my favorite alcoholic was a guy, Bob, there. <laughs> this was a coworker, not a customer. And um, he was an older man. He had been like uh, in the Korean War. He had like a hairy chest, like grayish hairy chest and a gold chain with a big Scorpio symbol on yeah. it. He was kind of like a really beat on Robert Mitchum, but shorter <laughs> and with a big gut from drinking. Um, and the first day there, this is at night, we're closing and he's hammered by the end of the shift. And then he started talking to me and it was literally like, like I didn't know if it was some kind of like another planet is transmitting something to his brain that's coming out. It was like completely unintelligible. Not like my hearing's not good. I didn't catch that. Just unintelligible gibberish. Then um, someone came over and told me, they're like, Bob takes his teeth out when his shift is over. Um, so he had dentures and he would totally take them out and be, I was just like, this guy's horrible on the first day. But then I grew to love Bob and we had a really sweet, crazy friendship. And I sometimes had to give him rides home because he had lost his license forever long ago. Um, and But I did kind of love Bob. And Bob kind of loved me. But then I started thinking, oh, wait, I think Bob might love me in the wrong way because he wanted to take me to a Neil Diamond concert. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I don't know, Bob. I was like, I'll let you adopt me. (laughs) But the worst thing that happened there, like just the maximum, like get it through your head. They don't respect you. The the clients or the people you're working with was um, 
this guy was so hammered coming up. It was like, you know, a four deep at the bar thing. And he comes up to get a drink and he's so drunk. He's like, you, you just by looking, you'd tell that. But as he was ordering his drink, he literally passed out and fell backwards, like flat on his back. And like the crowd opened up like a little C and he got propped back up. And I was like, I'm shutting you off. Shocker. Weird call on my part. And then um, one of the older bartenders came over and started yelling at me. And his excuse was unbelievable. He's like, he's like, he just lost his brother in a drunk driving accident. Give him a drink. I was like, that is my point. What are you fucking talking about? And then he like came over and served him like I did not even belong there. And the whole crowd was on his side and the um, alcoholic with the dead alcoholic brother's side. And everyone just thought I was like a horrible, horrible woman that was ruining everything. And I just, it, I, it never got better <laughs> at all in any way. Um, wow. The guy who hired me, <laughs> this is not sexism, this might be sexual harassment. <laughs> the guy uh, that hired me, um, one also in that family, um, used to keep daring me to go down into the wine cellar and give him a blowjob. I don't oh, know. Um, so it was a great... Truth is, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like, I'm never going to win these people over. They're never going to have any respect for me. It's just, it was awful. It was yeah. bad. Anyway, no glass ceiling being shattered <laughs> there, but... Maybe if you had become a time. raging alcoholic, then they would have trusted you and liked you. Know you are all right. <laughs> <laughs> But that didn't happen. I was never all right. Oh. Sad. I feel like most of my hypersexist things happen in restaurants. Like, mm. just constant. Like, when I first ch- tried to get a job in a restaurant in LA, and I was like, I can be a busboy. Like, I'm strong. It's like, no, no, no. You will be a hostess. Like, that's almost <laughs> sexist against men. It was just like, right. and racist, because it was like, white girls right. aren't busboys, mm-hmm. white girls are hostesses. And, um, but just, yeah, people were constantly like the, the dudes who, uh, would just be like, Hey, and you'd see just all these dudes at the restaurant staring at something. And it would be because some girl was sitting and her thong was like coming out of her, uh, jeans. A little whale tail? A little whale tail. (laughs) And it was like, everybody had just stopped working or functioning so that they could all look at this. And if she turned around, I mean, I was so surprised her boyfriend didn't notice because she wasn't facing it, but it was just like. It wasn't even hidden, and it wasn't even like you're the staring. You mean the staring? Right. Yeah. They, they, they formed a group. The only thing that separated Ugh. them and her was the counter. Like and they're just all standing there, and you're like, "Dudes, what are you doing?" And they would gather people who were in the back, like the you got to see this. Yeah, and it was like, "What's happening?" And why do you not notice at all that this is a problem? Right. Yeah. 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 Being a bartender made me really just, it's, it's just maximum disrespect 24 <laughs> seven in a different bartending job I had. I was opening this place early. This was a, actually a prior job and a bunch of is empty. I just opened and a bunch of a truckload of construction workers come in after a long week and they all start doing a ton of shots. And they had recently passed a law in Massachusetts that the bartender could be liable for any damages in an accident if they overserve someone. And I took it seriously because I was new to bartending. I was like, oh my God, I don't want that to happen. I have no money already. Um, and I was giving them shots and they're giving me huge tips. And then I was like, I saw them drive in there. I was, I was like, I'm sorry. I can't give them like four shots in about 15 minutes. And I, maybe they could handle it, but I was like, I'm sorry, you're shut up. And they went, 
ape shit. Sorry, am I allowed not to No, you can say anything you want. They were very angry. <laughs> um, and they, thank God they didn't do anything to me, but they went into the back room and were like knocking over pool tables, which weigh what? like a thousand pounds. Like they went, I'm very lucky they didn't do anything to me. And right after oh. they did the pool tables, um, the male bartender came in and then they left. Ah. But it was like, it's like, not even like trying to speak. Oh, and they made me give them all their tips back. What? Yes. And I was like, take it. Take it. Wow. So, and that too, because it wasn't just like, there's a bunch of them and there's one of you. Right. It was, the, because they still could have beat the shit out of the male bartender. Oh, they easily they could have. He was a total pussy. It was just that a man showed up and then they decided to leave? Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Fun time's over. Oh. I know. It was like, when I heard the slamming in that back room, because I couldn't, I was just like, What's gonna happen? Oh my god! <laughs> Should I change my mind? I guess I'll give them more. Alcohol? Right, because that it will only no. soothe them. Yeah. yeah, alcohol always makes people more rational. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. All right. <laughs> Story three. Story three. I I may do a. A one-two combination. We'll see yeah. how this yeah, how yeah. this yeah. how this plays out. Yeah. So I little little different from your story. I definitely um, was uh, the the first daughter for for my dad and his marriage with my mom, and so he was like ecstatic about like the daughter child person. <laughs> um, part of so my name Pavi Tamu it means morning flower, heralding the daughter, <laughs> um, the first daughter. <laughs> So very, very ecstatic for that. So definitely my dad had his notions of like wanting to have a very like father-daughter type relationship um, with me. I'm also an Aquarius, which I love like a lot, but I think it makes me a little bit of a, of a rabble rouser, if you will. <laughs> um, so, I, so the first moment that comes to mind that I, that I think of is like the moment when I was like, aware of gender, I think, like period, and that there was something different about it. Um, in a, uh, for me. So my, um, my two, so I have two older brothers. My two older brothers had started taking, uh, karate, uh, classes. I was about four years old when this happened. So they had started taking karate classes. They were like, I guess they would be six and seven years old. Um, and I was like, so they would come home, they would show me the things they were learning in karate. And I was so, like entranced and like really was like, oh, I'm going to get in on this karate thing. I really want to get in on this karate thing. So I told my dad, I was like, hey, dad, like I want to do karate too. And he was like, no, no, you can't do that. That's for like kids who are older than you. That's for like older kids. So I was like bummed out and was like, all right, when I get older, I'll be able to do karate. Um, So my brothers would keep coming home, keep coming home from karate. And I eventually somehow told them like, man, it sucks. Like I can't do karate because you all are because you all are bigger than me. And they were like, no, there's kids in our class who are the same age as you. Like, there's little kids in the class, too. I think you could do it. Like, there's little kids in the class. So I was like, really, I got real hyped because I was like, oh, my dad just must not know this very important information. <laughs> um, so I was like, dad, dad, guess what? There's little kids in the class, too. I could totally also do karate. And he was like, no, that's not for you. You're my little girl. Aww. And I was like, I don't. I didn't understand. Like, I was really like, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing to feel. Um, I'm very confused. So then 
uh, I think he didn't say that. I, I don't think he super, he was super specific about like, you're my little girl so much as you're a little girl. Um, Cause I remember I talked to my brothers again, cause I thought, oh, maybe no girls could be in the class. So I talked to them one more time and I was like, oh, no girls in the class, that's real. <laughs> that's unfortunate for you all. And they were like, no, definitely girls are in our class too. And I was like, Hey, Dad. Guess what? This other cool information. <laughs> You're so optimistic. Yeah, this other cool information. Um, there's definitely girls in this class. Uh, and my dad was just like, yeah, but you're my, like, you're my little girl, and that's not what Ooh. I want for my little girl. Mm. And that was the first time that I was really aware of, like, one, this being a girl thing mattered in a way to my dad that it didn't to me. <laughs> and then, two, that there were some limitations that I didn't feel entirely comfortable with. Um, but interesting enough, like, interestingly enough, so my, uh, my, my dad grew up on the south side of Chicago. He grew up uh, in the um, 50s and 60s in Chicago. And he was really involved or really engaged with, like, a lot of activism that was happening in Chicago at the time. And so he, you know, he, he followed the Black Panthers, followed the Nation of Islam, followed Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, all that kind of stuff. So I grew up in a very, like, activist activisty house with my dad really wanting us to understand like the struggle that black people had gone through and like our role in that and all of that whatnot. So I also grew up with this narrative that like we would fight for what's fair. We would fight for what's just. That's like mm. part of what like what should happen. Yeah. And so I remember <clears throat> I don't remember all of the different moments, but I do remember like that moment of the karate lessons being like something about like there's some contradiction here there's some contradiction of like it's okay to fight for justice for black folks but it's not as okay to fight mm. for justice for like me as a black woman or a black mm. girl like that's like a weird mix or or like a, a, I was confused so my dad and I would have like constant probably like constant battles of like what he imagined for me as his like little girl and what I really want like how I really wanted to be in the world and what how I wanted to live so What's fun for me is that I've gotten to see the evolution of my dad. So this is a little bit of like, yes, my optimism matters. It is helpful. <laughs> so I've gotten to see a little bit of the evolution of my dad. Um, and it's been, I mean, it's, it's been 30 years in the making. <laughs> but it's been, it's been interesting because um, the more, so, so he did raise all, so there's six, there's, I, have, I have five uh, brothers and sisters. So there's six of us siblings too. How many girls, how many boys? Three and three, so okay. even split, even split. <laughs> Real exciting for my dad, I'm sure. Um, uh, but he did raise these children who really all got super involved in uh, different types of fights for justice, right? So he has all these feminist daughters, which... Uh, <laughs> um, but it's been, like, it's been interesting to watch his own journey because... So my... my because I, all of like basically all of my elementary, middle school, high school years were like in these really tough like conversations with my dad around like his own sexism. Like he was very like, I'm the man of the house. Like I um, like so my 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 parents always wanted one parent to be a stay at home parent. And so during um until all of us were in school, my mom was the stay-at-home parent. It was, like, really important for her to be with us until we were, like, in school. So once the youngest one um, went to kindergarten, my mom 
went back to work, but my dad became the stay-at-home parent. And so even though my dad was the stay-at-home parent, there were expectations of my mother to do things like make dinner, wash the laundry, like all of that kind of stuff, even though he's the (laughs) stay-at-home parent. So, I mean, my dad was real good about certain things, but they were just the things that my dad liked to do versus like (laughs) the things that that are the man, that the man's supposed to do, right? So he was very, he was- I will hammer that. Yeah. (laughs) He was very, which it was also interesting because he wasn't, my dad is, it's so funny because like my mom's like worked at Home Depot, put all the furniture together and I have like my mom is a dyke like really like at the end of the day like my mom is like rural. does she identify as that or i've gotten my mom to go to dyke day with me a couple times you know because my mom became a lesbian she's a lipstick lesbian after my dad died so i wonder if it's a real thing or just a yeah you know it's fun um but my and my and my dad's like super like in some ways like has has more feminine like characteristics or whatever or more feminine like my dad's like you like let's put the pretty clothes on like let's all that kind of stuff and but was still very like man of the household makes the decisions man of the household da 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 um, so I grew up like watching my mom be able to like build the furniture and watching my dad who really liked neat and tidy places like to vacuuming and stuff but at the same time having these really clear like your mother will make dinner for the family your mother will like do the laundry and put the clothes away like these kinds of like very clear delineations of roles so that was interesting (laughs) the confusing um and and because he had all these uh, because i think we had good good enough relationships and lots of tension i think because of his lack of feminist understanding of the world (laughs) we he between him me and um at least one of my other sisters, we would get in these arguments all the time. And so I would be like, you're really not treating mom fairly. Like, I really think this is like, and I really think that what you, the role you want my mother to play is not the role that she should have to play. Like, it doesn't really make any sense. I also think the same about me. Like, I don't think your imaginings of what it means to be a girl is like really what's true to be a girl. Like all the girls don't look the way that you want the girls to look or whatever. So we would get, we would have a lot of tension. Eventually, though, my dad, um, I think when we became adults and and some of the tension went away because it's not like you're my child and you need to obey me because my dad also had that. Um, (laughs) um, uh, We could have more we could have more, um, I think, in-depth conversations about where some of these things came from, like how how they came up for him. And like at this point, my dad's like a little low key feminist and like really will struggle struggle through some things and he'll he he has said to me on several occasions in the past five years like thank you so much for pushing me to think about things from a woman's lens thank you so much and and like can now quote some really famous black feminists right and i'm like that's pretty brilliant it took you know took 30 plus years and but is possible you can teach an old dog new tricks okay like it's, it's actually possible but i think those are some of the things that come to mind when i think of like my experiences with sexism because it's it was just all around it's i think for me it's very much came from my household like it very much came yeah. from my relationship with my with my father and the tensions of like who he wanted who he imagined me to be and who I really am. I think for me also as someone who likes to play with gender now as an adult, um, it's been one of the most affirming things that that has happened for me and in recent times has been, so I love to put on a suit and look real dapper and real like suave. And so that's my, (laughs) that's my dad's, that, that was my dad's jam. That's also my grandpa's jam. Like, um, so recently my dad was like, 
um, you're really channeling your Willie Brown, who's my grandfather. And I was like, thank you, dad. Like, thank you for you seeing me yeah. and for that to be okay. Like, so that was pretty amazing. And, and as, and so now he does like fun stuff. Like he'll send me like links to like tie clip things or links to like cuff link things. So I'm like, all right, dad, you've expanded your imagining of who I can be. So that's pretty cool. I think. That's awesome. I love it. Cause it seems also like almost not to put that on your dad, but like the gender bending thing of like, if he was so obsessed with like dressing you up and, and like lady stuff, it's, it's almost like a fun thing that men don't usually get to do. You know, there is definitely that like suits and ties and tie clips and whatever, but like most men have to live in kind of a world of just jeans and t-shirts and whatever. And the idea of like, I know men, I, I remember being in high school with guys who were mad because women could wear cover up on pimples. <laughs> And like, and they're like, oh, you can, I think David Bowie talked about wearing makeup and being able to like, just be able to play with your face and men don't really get to do that. Yeah. That it, maybe it was an opportunity of like, these, this is a set of toys I don't get to play with, but if you play with it, I get to play with it. I wonder if that <laughs> well, had Some of that was there. I'm sure. I mean, in some ways, right? Like the interesting thing for me is mm. the, the way I felt as a child growing up was that I was supposed to be a doll for my dad. And so like, imagine putting that layer yeah. to what you're just saying, right? So I think like... I was supposed to perform the way that my dad wanted me to perform. I was supposed to dress the way that my dad wanted me to dress. I was supposed to look the way that my dad wanted me to look. All yeah. of these kind of like, and I'm like, I'm not a, like, I'm not a toy. Like, I'm not actually like this doll. So I could imagine in some ways like that, like, I get to play with you in ways that I don't get to like play in the world. Like, mm-hmm. I can imagine some of that yeah. being part of it. I'm glad that we've moved through that. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he ended up like, it seems like he has a genuine, like, <clears throat> intellectual um respect for you and like you're his equal because he he learned from you and he actually yeah. took the time to tell you that that's i think that's yeah. really beautiful yeah yeah great to be an activist mm-hmm. and to understand inequality and then to still act it out i think it's amazing like i i was just thinking when you were talking about it like both my parents worked and then there was a period of time after we moved to hawaii that my dad because my dad retired from the army and mm-hmm. he had a hard time finding work so he was home all the time <laughs> But my mom cooked dinner. <laughs> and it was like, wait a minute. So he was home during the day. Yeah. He would sporadically show up and we'd be like, shit, dad's home. Get the dogs off the couch. <laughs> Turn TV to educational television. The same thing. My yeah. mom worked. My dad stayed home, but my mom did cook. Yeah, she yeah. cooked. Or I did. Yeah. He would cook every once yeah. in a while stuff he liked to cook, like mm-hmm. spaghetti and sausage. And it was delicious. And of course he would criticize her cooking and you're like, well, dad. And yeah, he had three daughters and a son. And it would be like, well, dad, if you don't like it, you cook it. <laughs> I, I think people have children to beat them down into submission. <laughs> Damn, I missed the boat. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can still give me a baby. What problems do we have that our children can fix? Right. Or we could just give them. All right. Yay! You ready? We're back. We're back. And we added a body. Yeah. We can say who it is till we get to her. Or we can say who it is. Jennifer Coolidge showed up. Yay! Yay! Um, so it's funny because I originally was saying that I don't have much to say on this topic, but then as people talked, I realized, oh, maybe I do. Um, and I'll, I'll even start by saying, like, my mom is here. She's upstairs. And um, uh, I asked her if she had any story. And she said, and so I just learned this today about my mom, that my mom wanted to be a doctor and that her father told her that because she was a woman, she couldn't be a doctor. Um, and... Uh, and I said, and she has a PhD in psychology. I said, well, you are a doctor. And she said, yeah, but that's not what he meant. Like she said she wanted to be a pediatrician. And he said, 
no, you're a woman. You can't do that. You're, you have to have kids and be a wife, so you can't be a doctor. And her dad was a doctor, by the way. And her dad was a very, fairly liberal guy, but it was, you know, the late 40s, early 50s. Yeah, and so liberal no. for that is still... Yeah, and, and I realized, too, like, just a lot of my stuff is obviously... Well, not obviously, but it's, it's workplace-related, too. But let, let me start at the beginning. So uh, uh, the one thing that I do remember very, very clearly, um, when I was about 12, I've always... Most of my best friends have been straight men. That, that has been sort of a pattern. I have a lot of straight male friends. And I think there's actually some sexism connected to that. You guys sound, you guys are, you think I'm Go crazy. Where's um, there? I'd like to meet them. Oh, they're in the back. <laughs> I'll take your... Uh, and when I was about 12, and I would, like, hang out with the boys and run around, and, and um, I went up to my mother, and she was sitting uh, with a group of people in the backyard, and, uh, like, some of her friends, and I said... I want to have a sex change because I thought like, well, I'm doing this like boy things, but I'm not a boy. And the boys would be like, go away, you're a girl. And I'm like, but these are the things I want to do. I, was, I want to run around with the boys and hang out with the boys. So I went and I said to my mother, hey, mom, I want to have a sex change. Um, and by the way, like, this had nothing to do with sexuality. At the time, like, I, I just, it was, had, it just was like, these are my friends. This is what they're doing. I want to do it. And they're sort of giving me the message that that's not for me. Like, mm-hmm. we're the boys. This is what boys do. Go be a squad. girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my mother, to her credit, was like, we'll talk about it when you're 18. And that was just <laughs> the end of it. <laughs> that nice. Was, yeah. Good, good, when you're 18. good one. Um, sort of the end of that. Cause I, and, 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 you know, at the same time, I would, like, I love disco and putting on my high heels and I love makeup <laughs> and I would dance around, but then I would want to go run around with the boys. Um, and so uh, I, I think just really early on sort of recognized, oh, so there are things I'm not supposed to do or I'm not allowed to do or I'm not welcome to take part in simply because I'm a girl. But there doesn't seem to be anything like if the boys, like boys would get, you know, applauded if like a boy let you put makeup on him when, when they were little and, and you, they would be like parade like, oh my God, it's so Look how great you are that you're participating in this girl thing. You're welcome. Like, come on in and we'll put makeup on you and dress you in drag and people will love it and it'll be funny and they'll, remember that time you did that thing? And But I'm not welcome to, to run with the boys. Um, so I was very aware of that sort of fairly early on. And then I'm also aware of, of like, with when my mom said that about this wanting to be a doctor and her father telling her, like, I... Years ago, when I was a teenager, I thought I wanted to be a chef. Like, that's really what I wanted to do with my life. And I um, studied French and Japanese cooking, and I really was into it. And I was working in a, at a resort um, in the kitchen, and I was the only girl in the whole kitchen. Where was this resort? In Ojai. Okay. And um, I was the only girl in the kitchen. And, I, and again, I re- realized really quickly in this, in a very, one of the most ironic things I've ever witnessed about this is that the woman's place is not in the professional kitchen. It is in, at home, you you know, like, again, my mom was, my mom worked, my dad did not, but my mom cooked or I cooked. Yeah. My dad did not cook. Like, again, he would have, like, he would cook pancakes, but that would be it. Like, oh, I'll make pancakes. <laughs> a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. But that would be his, his thing, is he'd make pancakes for breakfast. Um, so... 
I abandoned my career choice just like my mother did. I didn't realize that until today, but I abandoned that career choice because the chef that I worked for was a crazy guy who used to fling pizza trays like Frisbees at neck height. Um, he was just a lunatic. And um, every night in the kitchen, I would get a, a Frisbee. To whoosh. Yeah, and he would call me bitch. Um, yeah, and it was just like I was not welcome. And even the pastry chef was a guy. Like everybody, everybody that worked wow. in that kitchen from the busser to the dishwasher to the head chef, everybody was a man except the hostess yeah. out front and wait waitresses. Um, but uh, in the kitchen, I was the only, yeah, I was the only woman and I, I was not welcome and I didn't hang out afterwards. Like the guys would go and hang out afterwards, the chef and the sous chef and the pastry chef and all those guys would go and get wasted and like listen to Eartha Kitt and I was not welcome. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Their macho time was listening to Eartha Eartha Kitt. Kitt. Um... So, Are you sure that's what they were listening to? <laughs> yeah, they, they used to listen to Warm Leather at a lot. I remember that. Um, so, and then, I, so I, I mentioned this earlier. So I think that I have like this weird, I think because of my weight, I am treated differently in, in the way of sexism. And I'll tell you why. So a couple reasons. One is I would have straight male friends and I would be the only girl that it would be okay for the boyfriends to hang out with. So, like, I'm non-threatening. Um, so I'm safe for your boyfriend or husband to hang out with because nothing's going to happen. And I sort of knew that. Like, I knew that other girls, it would not be cool. You know, you're you're after something. You must want to fuck him because he certainly is going to want to fuck you. So if you're hanging out with my boyfriend or husband, something's up, but not with me. And I always thought that was odd because, A, half the time, maybe I did want to fuck them. Like, you know, like you're making this assumption. Um, or like you said, so you, we were talking about this earlier. So society says that I wouldn't be your first choice to fuck because of my weight, but maybe they would want to fuck. So it was always this weird thing of like... Yeah, you're not a woman if you don't look like this. Right. You're an other... So this weird thing of like, somehow it's safe for your boyfriend to hang out with me. Nothing's going to happen. And I I say it's because of my weight. No one's ever said that to me. I've just always assumed that that's why. That somehow that changes things. Um... And it's cha- it definitely has, I think, has changed the way men treat me. And But again, maybe it's just because I really love hanging out with men. Um, they'll tell me stories that I, I don't know. Have you ever had a boss tell you, like, have a conversation with you about the different, he had had three different wives and um, describe the different kinds of blowjobs that each wife had given him during his three different marriages? No, I have never had a boss tell me that. So I... So I... I've had a conversation. I've had bosses. I've had bosses like... Well, not different kinds of blowjobs. Right. Did he just mean quality? Like ranking? Yeah, like ranking his wives on blowjob abilities. And that somehow that would be okay to tell me that story. And maybe that doesn't have anything to do with my weight, but I I, no. I feel like I always was seen as he one of the guys. Was coming on to you. No, 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 no. He was not coming on to me. Ian? In no way was he coming on to me. Would you ever? Ryan. He had three sisters. Not necessarily, you could have been a buddy. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's been a buddy. That's what I think. It's a buddy. Trust me, I've been invited <laughs> to strip clubs with the guys. Like, you want to go to the strip club? <laughs> sure, let's go to the strip club. Um, and they're not trying to fuck me. They're trying to fuck the strippers. Um, so. Uh, so, okay, so the same guy, the same boss, this is one of the first, like, you know, so a lot of shit happens in 
the entertainment industry that would never be tolerated in like the banking world or like yeah. you know like there's just stuff that happens where you well okay so here, here's a little little example um this was a, a long time ago but i was working uh i was working at nbc at the time and um, I went into the head of the department's office, the same guy who had had that blowjob conversation with him, not going to say his name. Um, <laughs> and I went in with a sort of a junior producer and we were going over to show the work that we've been working on and get his approval, his like sign off on, on the creative. And um, I went first, I showed my stuff and we had like a little uh, conversation about like some notes and I was like, yeah, that's no problem and I'll do it. And then, um, and then, she, um, she was young, like, you know, like right out of school, probably like early twenties, blonde, um, very like Joan on Mad Men kind of figure. And she was wearing a, a skirt and a sweater. And even before she showed him, she had a, a tape uh, that she had of her, she'd laid her work back off on a tape and he was going to play it. And he said, it doesn't even matter what's on this tape. You wear that sweater, you get a buy. <gasps> and... Oh. It sounds like a lion from... And I'm in the room. I'm sitting on his couch. And I've just gone and none of that has gone down with me. And I said, and I said, you can't talk to her like that. And he laughed. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding around. Just kidding around. Mm. Um, And now this poor girl, like she's so, she's young. She has no idea. Like she's terrified already. She's in the you know, the senior vice president's office presenting at a major network, her first creative. Like, this is a big deal for her. She's not going to say anything. She's not going to rock that boat. So she shows her stuff, and she gets she gets a lot of notes, but it made sense. She's green and whatever, and the notes made sense to me, and I was sort of, like, kind of um, mentoring her in a way at the time at the job. And um, as we were leaving, and he goes, but seriously, wear that sweater every time. So it was like, even at the end, it was like, oh, we're going to stick the knife in. So, um, and I, I feel like I see that kind of stuff. Like, people just get away with stuff. So then when I left that job, I, uh, I had an exit interview with HR. And, um, which is common. You know, you have your exit interview. And at the time, everybody kind of knew that they were gunning for him. Like, they, they wanted to out him and they oust him and they couldn't. And, um... And so they were asking me, like, you know, has anything inappropriate ever happened? And I, I was like, well, you're asking the wrong person. Like, I work in comedy. I'm inappropriate all the time. That's what I do. At the time the office was on, it was the number one comedy on television. And the catchphrase was, that's what she said. Like, that was just, that's, we went around the hallways doing that all the time. It was just, mm-hmm. it, it was commonplace. And I said, and I, I I just said, you know, it's not, it won't be long before there's a lawsuit with this guy. Like, that's all I'm going to say to you. Like, you, you, you have to talk to the people that I've never personally had a problem with him, but there are problems going on. Yeah. Um, and I just remember being like, wow, somebody's actually trying to do something about this, which is fascinating. And then being really scared, like, oh, is this going to get back to me somehow? And like, you know, fuck up my next job and feeling like, oh, you're, as a woman what am I supposed to say and and it was a really weird conversation um and 
but I, and I see stuff like that all the time. Like this just happened last week. We I was sent a reel of extras uh, for casting, so I had to sign off on the casting for a whole bunch of extras, and um, we needed somebody to ride a bicycle, uh, an older person to ride a bicycle. And I couldn't see the casting person. They were just sending us tapes, but I could hear him. And he kept referring to these older women as honey and sweetie. Come on, honey, get on the bike, sweetheart. Be careful, sweetheart. Be careful, honey. Mm. And a part of it was like this disembodied, I don't know who it is. So this is coming, I'm getting this tape. All I see is the woman on the bike, this senior woman in her little outfit who's trying so hard to get this gig. And this guy, this disembodied male voice going, come on, honey, get on the bike. Oh, careful there, sweetheart. Oh, faster, faster, honey. And just feeling like, oh, this is disgusting. And this happens all the time. Um, and it, and nobody stops him. Like, nobody says, and she's not going to say it. She yeah. wants the job. Like, she's not going to say to him. And I'm just looking at these women in their, in their, like, 70s and 80s. They're older women, gray hair, and they're so cute. And thinking, like, oh, you are probably twice the age of whoever is talking to you or maybe three times the age of whoever is talking to you if it's a casting assistant. It's probably something in their 20s or 30s. And you're probably an educated, you know, well-read woman who's like in retirement just trying to make some money as an extra. You know, for all I know, she has a PhD in something or she, you know, whatever. Like she might be a Rhodes Scholar. I have no idea. And this guy is just, and she's not going to say anything. And like, I wanted to like find these women and go, did you want to just fucking kill that guy? Like, <laughs> like that he's just saying, calling you sweetheart and honey. And like, that's not okay. And, and it made me sick and I wanted to hire them all, but I couldn't. I only hired one and I fired the rest of them. <laughs> and then you called um, her honey and sweetheart. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, come on in, honey. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, but Sweet I will cheeks. say like, I noticed that, and I think this is sort of a, like, it is a form of sexism that I, Perpetrate, perpetrate, yeah. perpetuate, yeah. perpetuate, perpetuate, perpetuate. Um, if if I meet somebody, um, and I know, and I find out they have kids, there's a thing in my head that goes, oh, do I, do I ask them what they do for a living, or do I, do I, like, do you get to stay? Like, I'll be very careful. Like, do you get to stay home with your kids? Like, because I do believe that's a privilege. Like in this day and age, it's hard to stay home with your kids. You have to go to work. Um, so I think, and I think almost every friend that I have that is a mother wants to stay home with their kids and likely can't. Um, so when I do meet somebody, but, and I'll find that the woman will be like, yeah, I work for, you know, I'm staying at home with my kids as if it's an excuse. Like I'm very aware of that, mm -hmm. but I'm very aware of my own thing of like, oh, how do I ask this woman mm -hmm. who I now know to be a parent if she stays home with her kids without either sounding like an asshole or like I don't and now obviously now I'm projecting all my stuff onto her in this moment of like does she uh is she embarrassed that she stays home with her kids is she's like I'm, I'm so like I better have a career and like I didn't have kids and I went after business and career and status and money and like that's my I pursued all of that stuff so like I don't want to think yeah. like well you didn't like I start to feel like that person I'm not articulating this very well. I'm going to guess sense? you just don't ask the question because it's probably one of those questions people hate getting asked. Right. Because honestly, like, I don't want kids, but if I had kids, I'd want to work. So if someone said, do you get to stay home with your kids? I would take the opposite. I'd be like, 
What do you mean, get right. to? Like, well, I have a job. It's an assu- either way, it's an assumption. I'm making an assumption. So it's and a judgment. Makes, and it probably makes them feel bad. Like, either I don't know way. which answer is right. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to judge me either way. Right. Just ask, pr- if you're really curious, ask probative questions about other things. I usually, I, I ask, <laughs> what do you do for a living? And I get the, the opposite of their state of mom. It's sort of like an apologetic, well. That's what, and that's what I'm trying to avoid. So that's just what I'm trying to avoid that. by not saying, what do you do for a living? Is then, I know is that, that a weird, like, dehumanizing thing then? Because, uh, like, staying at home as a mom is a thing that you could be doing for a living, right? Absolutely. Like, it's being it's a, a job. Home, it's a job, right? So it's a weird, it's a weird thing that we're, like coaching ourselves or coaxing ourselves to like ask to not ask some someone something that we would ask every other someone right yeah. like that's the and thing that, that i would not and i would right. not think yeah. twice yeah. asking a man what they do for a living and Once i would absolutely assume that they work and don't stay home as a parent i absolutely would assume that they go to work even if they have kids and I guess, that is totally sexism coming out of my own mouth yeah and even though you had a parent who stayed at home who was a, your father Right? Yeah, but he was just crazy to deadbeat. Yeah, he was home. He slept a lot. All right, we're going to leave that as a lingering question. Yeah, okay. Because we're going to move on to Chase. Are you ready for us? Yeah, for someone who didn't have a lot to say, I took up a lot of time. Yeah, we'll pause. Now? Can I go now? (laughs) Okay. Um, This is so funny because I had nothing when I came in here, but I was an orangutan baby too. Ooh. A total orangutan. And, um, I had my hope stashed with many a a, a gym teacher and even Twyla Tharp because I was tall and she thought when I did her summer residency in outside of Boston um, that I was going to be the next Rosemarie Wright. Do you guys know about her Mm -hmm. tall? She had that six foot tall dancer. I was I had dreams of becoming Judith Jameson from Ailey or Rosemary Wright and Twyla put me in a thing for like ten minutes and then yanked me because I was so bad. I was an I was a moron and I couldn't dance, but um, so yeah, and I was also uh, the first daughter. I'm just including everybody here. I didn't work in a bar though. Um, I know I'm a total, but yeah, um, I'm a total people pleaser, a second banana type. And I had a perfect older brother and who was so perfect that it fucked me up for, for life. Like he was, you know, the, like the great ambassador type, you know, like just good guy, smart, achievement oriented, even tempered, and I was everything else. So that was, that <laughs> fucked me up. Um, and, uh, and I, the, the contradictions though, I was thinking about, I had such contradictions growing up of like, well, um, you know, you can't just be a regular girl. You can't just be a regular woman. Like don't, don't, please don't grow. Don't be a, don't want to be a cheerleader. Cause mm-hmm. that's too common. My parents were like super, original types like they they had to do everything you know special like we grew up in a glass house and it was um totally they were activists we got I got called a nigger lover when I was 12 by an obscene phone caller like nigger lover because they'd done work with black people in Minneapolis they were big activists and um so I was like I was really down with the Vietnam War and protesting and you know, pro, you know, the, you know, building the black community in Minneapolis where I grew up and, you know, I was felt very empowered, but at the same time it was in, in Minnesota, women had to be 
Scandinavian, uh, German, Norwegian, buxom, and and compliant. And that was sort of like the norm that I grew up with. And I was skinny and redheaded and, you know, obnoxious and gawky. And it, there was just no path for me. There was no way out. Um, because, you know, I had to be special, but I couldn't be special in Minnesota at all. And even in my sort of like upper, upper middle, uh, you know, upper class, Minnesota, whatever that was, you know, uh, background. And, um, and my, my three brothers were all raised to be sort of like, um, like they have families, they have four kids each, they have jobs, they have big careers, they went for it. But my sister and I are like, we're literally spoken about as those Winton girls, like Lucy and Chase Winton are like, Oh, the Winton girls. They're just, we're just, we didn't, you know, like Lucy, uh, really smart. My younger sister who like totally overtook me in everything, brains, looks, athleticism. She moved to New York and became a, um, paramedic, an ambulance driver instead of like going to med school or something. Um, and she, uh, oh yeah. And she loved that. And I was a woman among men in college because I joined, um, an all-male basketball team called the Dildos. <laughs> I was their highest scorer. And I did get, I get, I did break the glass ceiling at Beloit College where I went for one year where I, I sort of became the, the, the pet of the basic Elmos, this group of guys that were like science and math nerds who, who uh, listened to Elmo Zumwalt, Am- Admiral of the Navy's um, address, uh, uh, some address to Congress, and um, they came up with basic Elmos. They called themselves the basic Elmos, and they did things like they stole the, uh, they, they stole the firefighting suit from the fire department and walked into the giant freezers at school in them and they they rented a gorilla suit and climbed the Beloit water tower they did missions where they would throw like a uh, hundred boxes of lettuce out a third floor window of a dorm and have called them unit displays they were so imaginative and out there and they adopted me and I became there I was like the only girl in the Elmos and it was like that was my life has been downhill ever since like I think <laughs> That the Groundlings was like, when I found comedy, it was like, oh, this is like being back in the Elmos. And they were, they loved me because I was, I would live next door to the king of the Elmos when I moved into French house at Beloit because to get away from all the regular people, you know, I was like, I'll go to French house and I'll, you know, and I'll, I won't have to be in a big dorm with a lot of people. And they put the king of the Elmos in the room next to me because he was such a troublemaker. And, you know, they would do things like, they would set. They would play um, the eighteen twelve overture and set it on fire and, and throw it out the window. The whole record and the record player. <laughs> A lot of things being thrown out windows. Yeah, they did yeah. unit displays, and they were all did pimply. They you equally? Yeah, they loved me. They would be like Chase. We and love they were all you. Jocks? They, no, they were nerds. They no, were pimply, the pimply, yeah. like. <laughs> Pimply. I'm getting the Elmos mixed up with the dildos. Well, they called themselves the dil- dildos. It was an intramural basketball league, and they oh, they didn't they couldn't do anything. That's why I was the highest scorer. I mean, that's the only way. Because I was not good at basketball. That was another thing. Like my my gym teachers were always like, oh, like I should have been a basketball player with my height. No, I couldn't make a basket. 
ever. But um, yeah, so they were all these like sort of pimply, nervous, geeky math and science nerds. And they just were hilarious. Like they were the most imaginative. And and they would play um, Monty Python for me. They turned me onto that. And and they would listen to Lyndon Johnson's address to Congress where he was, you know, talking about civil rights. But in it, in the original version of it, Lyndon Johnson does all of these like, like grunts, like my fellow Americans. <laughs> like, and they would imitate, they would replay it a hundred times and get all of Lyndon Johnson's stutters and grunts, not 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 to make fun of the civil rights league, but just because it was random and sort of weird and abstract. But anyway, that was my glass ceiling moment, and it's been downhill. And I just had that double standard thing of like, you have to be a woman to be successful, cannot be threatening to men. And my dad did not like strong women at all, and his. Um, his, uh, he, my mom was on a total pedestal. Like he was uh, obsessed with my mother. And so she was on this pedestal. So she had all the power. Like she really wore the pants, even though he was the big breadwinner. Um, so this crazy double standard of like, don't threaten dad. Don't try to be too smart or too funny. And, um, and I ended up being class clown. I don't think he ever laughed at me once in my life. He <laughs> never found me amusing. Yeah, yeah no. Um, and, but my family was all really funny. Like, they're a lot funnier than I am. Um, and and then we, um, so, my and my mom never made a sandwich. She never cooked. So I got trained in nothing. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for anything except to be fabulous at, you know, something amorphous. And I would just read Time magazine and go like, I want to be that. You know, like, you know, I got all my fantasies from magazines, and um, we had this housekeeper named Blanche, this farm woman from northern Minnesota who lived lived in, and she had, like, white hair on, in a bun on her head, and she would, like, go around the house like a ghost. She was literally white and had white hair, and she was short and round, and she thought Lucy and I were the biggest losers like she was like a farm woman is like they should we should have been learning how to cook and clean and cut the head off a chicken and gut it and like all those things a, a, a Minnesota girl should do and we were none of that so we had her disrespect like she couldn't even look at me she wouldn't look at me and she loved the boy she couldn't do enough for the boy so there was sexism like at the core of our house like our house was a Bauhaus male you know, house built by uh, Philip Johnson, a gay man who had no children, didn't understand kids, and made postage stamp bedrooms. Um, and then the rest was all about art. And my parents hung like, you know, 50s modern, you know, male American alcoholic dick art, you know, like Rauschenberg and Jasper Johnson, Lichtenstein and all the, like, you know, and, and, and it was all male, male, male. And so I just felt like fucked. And then, you know, the only thing that saved me was um, leaving and going in, you know, trying to become a modern dancer, which was ridiculous and <laughs> yet six feet tall and no talent and at 20. But then I got into comedy uh, improv and that was like oh my god this is this is so freeing but I still had that message like don't be don't mm -mm, no professional women are not like I had a I had a couple of aunts that were super successful like 
Um, and my parents would just put them down. Like um, my aunt Lucia Chase was head of American Ballet Theater. Like the head. Like That's she huge. Yeah, yeah, huge. And they would she would come to Minneapolis with the American Ballet Theater and. And I and I wanted to be a dancer, and and mom would take me to see Peter and the Wolf or whatever, and and I'd be like, so tell me about Lucia Chase, and she goes, oh God, she's such a bore, and like just all she talks about is ballet, and I'd be like, oh 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 okay, and like I love the ballet, but I got the message like, don't be a professional woman or you'll be sh- you'll be shunned and lonely, and single, and then uh, my other aunt was. Uh, the editor, like, she wasn't the editor, but she was uh, um, managing editor of Vogue, and she was a brainiac. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And, but she was a, you know, she drank, and, you know, my mom and dad couldn't give her respect. Like, they, they just kind of, like, professional women just never really got the, it was like the, that amorphous, like, you had to be beautiful, and really good at everything naturally you couldn't try hard if you sweat that's not cool you had to be like just gifted from the get out of the gate like really good at tennis right out of the gate and (laughs) and you know like you had to be you had to have social skills athletic skills and and good looks and I had none of those so I just felt fucked my whole life I still do. I still feel like that thing. Like, and I also feel like that. Oh, I can never. I can never try to achieve anything or do really well at anything because then, you know, the bottom will fall out. And, well, you really uh, got to damn if you do, damn if you don't. Yes. Don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and impossible standards. Yeah. Yeah. Something oh, terrible standards. Yeah. And um, um, my uh, <laughs> funny story. My dad, when he was little. There was a kidnapping threat because uh, the the mob had moved up from Chicago to Minneapolis, and I don't know if there was union busting or something involved. My grandfather got a, a kidnapping threat letter saying we're going to kidnap one of your kids, um, and because uh, my grandfather was a big liberal, uh, and uh, he must have had been doing something in Minneapolis with the unions and the mob was against the unions. I don't know. But anyway, he had three kids, my two aunts and my father, and he put bars on my dad's bedroom windows, but not my aunts. (laughs) You can take the girls, but don't take the boy. Wow. Yeah. Or the assumption that they would just take the boy because that would be the only thing. Yeah. Why take a girl? Yeah. And then my mom, my mom was one of six girls to a man who only wanted sons. So all of, all of those girls, uh, you know, Bambi, Kitty, Suki, Molly, Penny, Judy grew up like, you know, with their shirts off running around like Indians. I mean, you know, like when, like in the forties, you saw pictures of girls running yeah. around with shirts off. It was so cool. You wouldn't see that today, but they all grew up to be like really crazy, interesting women, but horrible mothers. Like they just, <laughs> there was some sort of like self-hating thing where they just could not be nurturing mothers um they hated being mothers um anyway that's that's basically that's basically it um just be special but and but don't let them see you sweat Mm -hmm. or try hard and don't need anything too much and don't be emotional Mm -hmm. I mean so many don'ts that I'm surprised I'm not totally constipated all the time (laughs) I I have a question because I, I know like there's that kind of like if you're rich 
that you you don't work, right? That's gross. Right. Like yeah. you have money, which yeah. is disgusting to the rest of the world. The idea of like yeah. a class you have inherited your money versus yeah. work for it. But I also read this thing that said girls are in school are encouraged to they're usually better because they mature a little faster at stuff. Yeah. But then when they don't do well, they shut down because they aren't encouraged to try. Right. Whereas boys are encouraged to like try and fail and try and fail and get better. So a lot of times women will do well at something and then the second they hit a roadblock, they'll stop and they'll yes. decide they're not good at it. Whereas boys are educated to be like, oh, I'm not good at it, I'll try harder. Yeah. So do you think it was one or the other or the combination of both? Oh, I think it was the combination of the both. Uh, but I grew up, I'm a little older than you, like where, like there wasn't like, you know, I was in the 60s and 70s, so women's lib was just happening. And um, so I was never raised like with that expectation of having to work, but they just were like, go do something, be a dancer. Yes, go to New York, be a modern <laughs> dancer. Like they love to be able to tell about what we were doing but my brothers definitely had to work like they weren't supposed to sit around and it wasn't like sit around and just count your money that kind of you had to work and get something you had to do something with your life yeah you had to have a title of some value of some sort of you had to go to college and yeah there was not there was no um uh sort of what's the word I mean I was definitely kind of a dilettante I you know did a sort of okay moderately okay at a lot of different things and it was like oh okay I'm just in the club that's good enough for me and that was good enough for my family but um the boys boys were expected to achieve 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 not you know don't never just you know live off their whatever they inherited um that's very midwestern though there aren't a lot of stories like that where I come from like uh, I grew up with all the Pillsbury kids and they all work they're all like super uh, philanthropic and work hard and do a lot of stuff but um, yeah it's it's not it's a weird it is a weird thing it is a weird thing but then there's the thing as a female if you if you are successful in your business then you're a bitch or like yeah. we were talking about this earlier, like um, I was recently taking some leadership courses and as part of my class, I was tasked to interview people that I work for um, to have an understanding of how I'm seen in the workplace. And um, almost everybody that I interviewed um, said things like, you have a really big personality. <laughs> you have a really big presence in the room, and that's intimidating. What? Yeah. Um, you know, you're an amazing leader, but sometimes people are, you know, intimidated. Um, and I, they were not trying to criticize. It was, I mean, no, but I don't think anybody meant any malice in what they were saying. But I've, I've, you know, I've been told many times by people like when you, when I first met you, I was scared of you, or I thought you hated me, or because I am very confident, and I do have a, a, a large presence, um, yeah. and where, where, it's, where, where it's appropriate. Like, this is my workplace. I am an expert at what I do, so it would make sense <laughs> that I would have a strong presence in the room. Yeah, like, the you, boss, know, if you put like... me in the surgical suite at City of Hope, <laughs> I'm going to keep my mouth shut and my hands behind my back. We hope. Yeah. So, you know, like, if, if, I'm, if I'm leading a meeting or, or directing or whatever it is I'm doing, like, well, I would hope that I would have that. And I would bet 
that you don't say that to the men. I would wonder if the flip of this is, because I I could hear, I could imagine being a man thinking like, I'm sure, I've had male bosses where I thought they were dicks and they were pricks and I felt that in my head. But I wonder if it's not that people think negative things about women versus men bosses. They hate everybody who's mean to them, right? They're mad at anybody who makes them feel intimidated. They're whatever. It's that they wouldn't say that to their male boss. And they don't expect their male boss to listen to that. Mm-hmm. They Like, right. father isn't expected to tuck you in at night or love you or be kind to you. If they are, it's a bonus, right? So your male boss, you can hate him, but you don't expect him to be nice to you. But these are men and women saying this. But I think women are programmed to expect niceness and kindness from women and receptiveness. Yeah. So you expected something nicer from your female boss, and if your female boss wasn't that you feel more comfortable telling them your feelings that you would never tell your male boss. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just a I don't think it's true for me thing. personally. Like I'm, I'll tell anybody anything if it's appropriate to say it um, at the workplace. And, but yeah. But I've never seen you be a dick or be mean. I can't imagine no, you. I'm yeah. Not. And that's and they weren't saying that I was. Okay. They were definitely using language that I believe. Um, they would but I want to know. Well, I think it's interesting because I do think that there's, I mean, haha, I do all this diversity and inclusion work, right? So I think <laughs> I'm thinking about these things regularly, reading on them regularly, yeah. studying them regularly. But I do think that there are, um, there are undercurrents for the things that people are saying, are, are thinking, right? So it's like how it's characterized. So mm-hmm. what you were saying, like, you might have an expect. So I think it's this expectation thing, right? You might have an expectation that your uh, your your boss, who's a man, uh, is going to act a certain way. You expect directness. You expect, all, but it's characterized as directness versus characterized as bitchiness, right? Like it's a so so right. that colors also your willingness to say something about it or not say something about it. I yeah. think so. There's that piece, but I also think like as everyone's talking, I'm also thinking about like how like we can't pull apart part. part, part certain portions of our identity right so I think like as a black woman what's expected of me or who I am there there has always been a particular mm, uh, lack of, of of feminineness associated with black women right I think that that's true where we've been expected to work we've been expected to um hold it together we've been I mean like the narrative of black women in this country is like we are we we are and and historically for all these different reasons right but we are um oftentimes like the 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 head of our households because black men have been imprisoned or murdered or like all of these different things right right? so there's this like different kind of um playground that we're in if you will and I'm thinking about how that translates into the workplace um and having and 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 different experiences that I've had so I think people oftentimes think or expect a certain level of directness from me. And I am like, I'm like, I do conflict management. I'm like <laughs> a mediator. I'm, I'm, I, that's like who, that one, that's who I am as a person, but also that's what I'm trained in. So the way that I approach things is always like, give me more here, give me more here. Let's figure it out. Like, let's bring it all together. Um, and I think sometimes that puzzles people. And I think it's because they expect a, a, a little bit of a sassy black woman in. <laughs> 
<laughs> in the spaces that I'm in, right? So there's you're not right. snapping at me and, and giving me slang terms, right? Like I'm not I'm not showing up I'm not showing up according to that expectation. So it's just interesting hearing the different ways I think that from all of our experiences, both like generationally, racially, all of these different things, um, how like the impacts of our exp- or, or like the ways that sexism has shown up in our lives mm-hmm. and especially in the workplace. I think I'm 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 finding it very entertaining, if you will, <laughs> um, because it's just so it's just so different. Like I, I I work in an organization right now that's a primarily Asian American organization, and so there's a particular way that Asian American women are like are uh, are are um, sexualized objectified, and like, objectified yeah. and totally. an yeah. expectation of like of of docility, mm-hmm. right? Uh, versus, I think in my case, like this expectation of like aggressive, direct, like black woman, and so like. <laughs> And I'm like, mm, I'm like barely some of those things. And like, <laughs> sometimes I can really be some of those things. It really just depends on the, the scenario. And some of the, some of the um, uh, women that I work with are powerhouses, like in really intense and, 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 and admirable like ways or whatnot. So I think sometimes it's, it's shocking to people or surprising to people to see the different ways that are whatever, whatever we want to call this, like femininity or womanhood, like shows up in a space. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the other stuff that comes with it, like yeah, all the other layers, we are, like we we're talking about tall and, yeah. and, and age and where you are, and like way, right? all yeah. these, it all things. becomes complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Should we pause and let's pause. Okay, and our final storyteller of the evening, Jennifer Coolidge. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the most interesting uh, part of just listening to all of you. It's like, um, there's a couple people I know really well at the table, and um, um, it's so fascinating to hear, like, to hear the, your personal conclusions mm-hmm. of, like, why things went a certain way when, when you're the outsider listening to it going oh my god and you actually know what the real truth is and just <laughs> but because of you know sexism you've come up with all these like you know false ideas as to why things you know why you weren't liked or why and 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 I mean it's just like Mary Jo you have this like I know you, you're intimidating at the work uh, you know uh, where you where you work you know people are like I'm very intimidated by you and everything but you have this thing I remember at the groundlings you always had it, it was like you are so approachable, first of all. So I can see guys talking to you about three different kinds of blowjobs <laughs> because you have this very sort of easy, like, yeah. you have a very easy, like, you, and you know, you have this way about you where it looks like you, you're not going to tattle. You're not a tattletale. <laughs> That's true. Very, yeah. You're not going to be offended. No, you're not going to be offended. You have all these qualities where I can see a guy going... Tell Mary Jo, you know, like <laughs> I don't know if it's like you know you you came up with all these ideas as to why like you know oh I did they, you know they didn't want to sleep with me it's not that at all it's 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 actually yeah <laughs> positive qualities and you also um, you know there's something about you that's uh, that is very sort of moral so. To women, like I think, you know, my vision, you know, my sort of take on you when I was in the grounds was, and still is, is that you're such a moral person. So as a girl, you know, I look around the room, I'm like, who's not going to fuck my boyfriend? Mary Jo. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's like, there's certain girls that just, you know, that's what they do. You know, I would never, you know, I just, that would never be my thought that you would be, you know what I mean? So it's that too. Like, it's all, it's all positive stuff. 
And it's sort of weird how, you know, your mind's... And then... Yeah. Yeah. And then... No, you know what I mean? It's all positive stuff. And then then with you, Chase, like, I saw your husband showed me a tape of your... A dance recital, and you were a good dancer. I mean, this all this weird... You were really good. You were really good. I saw your final... Your It was your final thesis uh, video. I saw it. (laughs) No, there was no thesis, but... No, um, you know what is it? What is it? What in a dance in a dance? What's what's your final dance? Showcase. No, yeah, I, yeah your I, recital, I, your showcase. Yes. So don't you? You know, you're you're out of your mind. With you weren't a good dancer. You were great. You just, I don't know. You like you came to that conclusion somehow because of. And a bunch you're a of, ranked tennis player, correct? Oh yeah. yeah, I'm ranked in the women's West Side League. Uh, <laughs> yes, I am in Division One. For that's for old lady tennis. I'm. Yeah, you're like the bomb. pretty hot stuff. You're the bomb. I'm hanging on by my nostrils. Because <laughs> of the demons. Well, but you're, you know, you're a really, really good dancer, and and I saw the video. So whatever you came up okay. with, right. the tornado you came up with in your head no, because mean, of. Okay, I could we could argue <clears throat> this, and and yes, I got good. I got to a very good B level, you know, mid mid level. In the situation. tennis or the dance? Dancing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many skills. You have too oh many skills. Oh my god. Skills, I'm, yeah. What was it? Somebody said the other day. As you're talking, you're talking. I sh- I can't. But um, do an o- adequate job at a moderate pace. That's mm. that's oh, my life. But wow. continue. <laughs> continue. Well, no, you know it's so funny because people were talking about. Uh, a lot of people were talking about like their past. Like you were talking about your past and sort of like the ideas you came up with. Um, you know, when you're growing up and stuff. And, you know, I just wanted to talk about something that happened not too long ago where um, I was on a job um, that I had to fly to that was, you know, across the country. And it was a movie. And um, I remember um, uh, I was very excited about it because it it paid decently. (laughs) And I only had to be on the movie a very, very short amount of time. It was one of these deals where it was like, you know, we'll pay you this amount of money for this very short amount. It just seemed like the right thing to do. It wasn't um, a Kate Blanchett part, but um, <laughs> but it was something that would like, you know, just I would just have to do this part, and then I would have this, uh, you know, this uh, some cash to live off of. But um, you know, I flew in and um, to this, uh, like I said, I flew across the country to this state and um, I got off the plane and uh, I immediately went and the producers met with me immediately and said that the lead actor would like to meet with me to uh, run lines for the following day. And, um, and so... Uh, I was like thinking, like, God, they usually don't ask this to, just seem like to do it the second I got in town. But, um, but I agreed, and the one producer drove me to uh, this rented house they had gotten for the lead actor, and um, we pulled up, and uh, the house was dark, and. Um, I thought that was kind of weird, and then the producer walked me in. We knocked on the door. We came in, and the 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 lead actor had an assistant. But the house was all dark, and she was in the kitchen. It was very strange. And then um, the lead actor, they said that the lead actor was in the bedroom, 
And um, and the producer said, um, "Well, I'm gonna, gentlemen, I'm gonna go. I'll, I'm gonna go. Uh, you know, back to." camp and I'll come back for you and um and uh so I'll see you like in an hour or so or an hour or two hours from I you just I don't remember what the time frame was all I know is that when I went into the other room where there was a light on it was the only room with a light on and it was the actor's bedroom and um he uh thought that you know he I still to this day can't tell if he just didn't, if he thought I was an extra. I don't know because <laughs> the way he treated me, the way he treated me was like I was like 15. Like he was saying stuff like, uh, have you ever been in this town before? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and he said really, really like, I mean, he, he said so many things. One, one of the things I thought was really amazing, what he said was, uh, he said, uh, Jennifer, uh, have you ever been to Paris? And, um, and I said, um, uh, yes, yes, I have. And he said, Paris is a dump. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, who calls Paris a dump? Like, you know, you can call a lot of things a dump, but it just, you know what I mean? Like, of all the beautiful, you know, all the cities in the world, Paris was... You know, I don't know, he wanted to be an authority on, like, what was a dump and what wasn't. But, I mean, that was just one, I remember that so clearly. But then he said that he thought we should um, run the lines. And um, and so I got out my little script. And then he said, you know what, you know, fuck that, whatever. We won't, we're not going to run the lines. He goes, I think what we really need to do here is is practice the kissing. Oh, oh my and, God. Um, wow. And I remember thinking, like... I don't ever remember anyone, even, you know, my friends that have to do this in every movie, ever having to practice do the kissing, practice the kissing for a scene. I just, I thought, like, that would be, wouldn't I have heard about that? You know? So, um, so I was very, uh, you know, this, I just want to talk about, like, for what, what happened. Like, instead... Of saying like, gosh, I uh, I don't rehearse kissing, and I'll, I'll surprise you tomorrow with my skills. But I'm gonna hold off right now and really, uh, you know, impress you tomorrow when we're doing it. But instead, I like regress to some weird, like you know, shame-based place where I was like, you know, I, I am, <laughs> I am. Cotton mouth right now, and I, <laughs> and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have any chewing gum, and I just, I mean, every like, I remember listening to myself going, "Oh my God, Jennifer, you have no balls here," and you're like, like instead, you know, like I was thinking, like any actress that had any self respect would have gone like, "Fuck you, right? This is weird," and I was like, "But you know, I'm really sorry," and you know, um, uh, you know, um. And just turn into like a five-year-old girl, and I was thinking like, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of this? And um, and uh, and like I said, it was 
so weird because it was like out of a movie. It's like his room was dimly lit and the rest of the house was dark. And like, you know, and then the, and then the assistant, who's a woman yeah. who knows what's going on, yeah. is like, you know, 20 feet away, but she's not saying anything, whatever. And I remember, I, you know, I was like, I really, um, you know, I'm really, um, yeah, I can't, you know, I, was, I just went into this sort of anxiety attack of just, you know, stuff. And I, I was eventually, I was able to uh, get out of there and um, and I go into the kitchen, and uh, guess who's in the kitchen? But the producer. And I said, "Oh, hey, what what are you uh, what are you doing here?" And he said, "Oh, you know what? I um. I was heading to base camp, but I thought I would just come back and wait for you. So he had an idea. Oh, he had an idea. So Ew. then, um, he so he had an idea, and then I thought it was really weird because the the assistant was so strange, and she had a very good idea. You know, she had a good idea, and she's probably seen this a million yeah, times. Yeah, every time. But the weird part of the story is that I wasn't eighteen. Do you know what I mean? This wasn't a long, long time ago. This is like you know what I mean. This isn't something you pull on a woman in her forties. It's just not. Yeah. You just don't pull. You know what I mean? This is like. This was like really, it was like really like, it was like I was an extra and I was 15 years old and it was like, you want to be in the movies? <laughs> you know? And, um, and then when we got in the car, I had this delayed reaction. I said to the, you know, to the producer, I sort of got my set of balls that I didn't have with the act, lead actor. And I said, you know, that was so out of line. And I said, I've never, that was like, you know, that's sexual harassment. And I go, who do you know has to rehearse these kissing scenes and, this is really, you know, I said, and I feel like you sort of set me up. Yeah. And everything. Yeah, and, um, you. you know, and he was, the producer was very apologetic. And, um, but when we uh, went to shoot the scene the next day, uh, the actor obviously had gotten a call from the producers that I had ratted him out. And so uh, the next day was all about punishment from, yes, from everybody. Punishment from, punishment from the lead actor because he said he had ringworm now. He had ringworm, he contracted ringworm the night before. (laughs) And so he, (laughs) well, from from something, yes. So I, so we wouldn't be doing the kissing scene, you know, he was like, so because he was furious that I ratted on him. And, um, you know, I mean, there were just so many levels to it because I'll never forget it. it was like, and then I called the guy I was dating at the time and um, I said, you know what, I um, I think I'm going to drop out of this job. I said, because this has gotten so weird and I'm really uncomfortable with how this is going down and I'm being punished. And not only that, but the, but the lead actor's entourage was punishing me. Hmm. And like one of the, part of his entourage was like my makeup artist and it was kind of like, you know, no. like, you know what I mean? Like, everyone was like, no. I was a rat because I ratted on the leader. You know, there was that. And then there's my boyfriend who I call up, the guy I was dating at the time, and he's like, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bail on this. And uh, I, I, I go, I just, uh, I think it's, I think it's the right move, I said, because I don't think I can improve this situation at this point. And I said, and I feel really dirty. Or, you know, I feel really weird. And the guy I was dating was like, you know what, Jennifer? We need the money. We need this money, oh, and you know what? what and um, you know, people have to deal with this crap all the time, wow. and you just like you just swallow it. You know, you just like you play the game, and you just swallow it, and you get the check because you realize, Jennifer, if you bail on the movie, they're not going to pay you. Oh, so then I call my agent, 
And my agent is a woman, and she says, "You can you can drop out of the movie today if you'd like. <laughs> You're not going to get any of the payment, but if you'd like, you can drop out of the you can drop out of the movie." <laughs> okay, so I had her. I feel you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, but she's not getting all riled up like, "What the fuck?" She's just like, "Yeah, yeah if you can drop out That's if you'd disgusting. like." You can do that. Okay, so then, so that, so then I have the guy that I'm dating who's like, you know, stay and take it. And, um, and so then, uh, so that night I'm in my room and, you know, there was one cool, there was a girl on the movie that was another actress and she was just like, Jennifer, I support whatever decision she goes. I think what went down is really, really bad. And I just needed to hear that from one woman. Right. But, yeah. but, um, but then, uh, I, I, uh, it was about eight o'clock at night and there's a knock on my door and, um. I open the door and there is uh, a very inexpensive bottle of wine. I'll never forget it, and um, and some cheese and crackers. And it was uh, and it was the. I open up and it was the note from the producers, and they were like, "We're very sorry, you know, about what's happened here." Like, I mean, they were like, "Their sorry tray was about twenty dollars." Wow. You know, um, wow. and I don't know. You know what I was thinking about? I was like joking with a friend one time, and he was like, "Like, he's like, do you think a spa day would have been worth that sexual harassment? Like, what do you think could have right, just?" Right. He was like, "Like, what? What could it have been that would have you go like, all right, it was all right, yeah, whatever, that's all right." He just you know, yeah. they yeah. got me a scented candles. <laughs> it was worth it. No, um, no, but you know, I mean, I just remember all the different elements, and like I said, it's it was the weird part of the story was just how you know it wasn't this wasn't back in the '60s or the '70s or the '80s right. or the '90s. You know, this was uh, you know probably between you know 2005, 2010. You know, or uh, later than that. You know, so it was like um, it was just very weird to uh, be in that weird position where. Um, no one felt that bad about it, yeah. Yeah. and especially the lead actor, and um, and uh, and it was just like you know being ostracized by his gang, you know, by his whole group. They, were, I was just like you know the rotten apple. His team, his yeah. team. They didn't and, like it. They didn't they like it. Didn't like the fact that you outed him as a fucking sleaze. I mean, that's really what went down. Like you yes. outed yeah. him. Yes, but who knows what he said to them? You know, who knows yeah, what no, he told them? You know, right. but I accept. I bet you they've seen it. You know, I bet exactly. you they have. Yeah. Like, I bet they. That's not a one off. Yeah. yeah. Well, the producer knew what was up. Like he knew enough to come back. So it wasn't. Well, yes, he did know it. enough to come yeah. back. Yeah. He yeah. did. Yes. Yes. Like there's very little. Yes. When you talk about feminism. You're ruining everyone's good time. Yes, no, yes. that was exactly what yeah, it was. Totally. It was like everyone's yeah. on a movie. They're out of town. They all like like the, the house they rented for this lead actor was so extravagant. Like yes, it's like woo hot tub, you know, like this. And then like yes, and then this like it's like you feel like uh, you feel like some you know uptight English nun has shown up and gone like this is outrageous, you know. Yeah. He put his tongue in my mouth. I totally I can't believe it. He invited me into his dim cave. Yes, and, yes. And then yes. had ringworm the next day. Yeah, I love yeah. That's his way of getting it. Oh. Oh. Ringworm. Who would claim yeah. ringworm? Who, yeah. Well, he was furious. He wasn't going to kiss me. I ratted on him. You know, yeah. He wasn't going to, you know. Um. So, did you ultimately have to shoot the kissing scene? 
Well, this is the weird, weird part of the story. So then <laughs> he was adamant about uh, not, you know, not kissing me because of his severe case of ringworm. And, anyway, and let me just tell you, I wish Oral one of you had, I wish ringworm. one of you had a scarf. Because if I could show you the scarf that he had on wrapped around his head, wrapped around here, and just his eyes were coming out that he's, you know, the ringworm was underneath the scarf. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just insane. But, um, (laughs) but, but the most interesting part of it all was, um, he, uh, wait, where was I? Oh, I completely lost my, my train of thought. What is it? I asked you if you did the kissing scene. Oh, oh, sorry. The most interesting part of it all was that um, <laughs> they decided that um, they were going to have my entire makeout scene be with his stunt double. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so I had to make out with his stunt double all day. And, um, and I just remember thinking, like, like, you know, people oh. think it's so glamorous when you get these jobs. And it's like, you know, um, I I guess I the, the weird part of the story was like, just if you told me that was going to happen, I would never have believed you. Right. Just because the actor uh, is uh, very well respected and um, just, it just didn't seem like that was going to go down. Right. You're not like wow. stopping by North Hollywood Vivid Entertainment to like <laughs> break into porn. You're like being flown across the country to be in a movie with a well-known actor and then dropped off at his house to visit his him in dark his house. bedroom. Like, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. It's amazing, amazing. How, how many, how much that pr- pr- prevails still. That yep. kind of... Well, the Jared Leto thing of sending people used condoms. What? Because he'd gone method for Suicide Squad. Like, it's a comic book hero. <laughs> <laughs> And he apparently sent all his cast members used condoms. Like, that's disgusting. And what? Wow. Yeah. Well, but you know, but I do like that you said that. It, it, it is that, you know, you, if you, you are the wet blanket, rain yeah. on the parade person. And you know what? You don't want to be that. Like, there is that weird thing where you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be the rain on the parade yeah. person. But at the same time, you're like, this was, this isn't cool. And how, what other way can I do it? Can I, you yeah. know what I mean? What, you know what I mean? What other way can I, how, how can I handle this? Other than saying this is unacceptable. Right. You know, um, but and, it is that. Yeah. And I think there were so many like groovy times that people were like, like the girl who uh, ruined everybody's Roman Polanski relationship. Like, oh, now I can't watch Roman Polanski movies because he raped a 13 year old. You're a real bummer. And it's like, no, she a hundred percent. And she actually said it, the reporting it was more traumatic than the actual experience because she was yeah, drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is that thing of like, you just more and more and more get trained to be like, well, just let it go because everyone's having a good time. But yeah. it's it, it just adds up to all these terrible times. Right. Yeah. But it's not actually, it's not, a par- it's not the parade you want to be attending, right? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. If we all just kind of said, no, 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 thank you, we could actually have a way more fun time. Yeah. It's really fun. No, and haven't mean, you heard that? We're looking at the, the world that we're living in right now. I mean, that story that just came to light this week about the, it's, it's an older case. It's from 2014, the Canadian judge who t- oh, told yeah. the girl who was raped at a party why couldn't you just your catch your legs to, together? Yes. This wouldn't have happened. And, like, the guy had her up on the counter in the kitchen or something. Like, like her butt was in the sink or something. And he actually said to her, like, well, couldn't you have just sat further down in the sink to, like, keep him from... 
getting inside uh-huh. you like and this is a judge this is like a this yeah. is yeah. a guy who's going to, going to decide what's fair and what is what is law and what is admissible and what isn't and like that that that's what you say to this girl that's where your that's brain, where yeah. brain goes yeah. yeah that's where your brain goes that oh if you had just forced yourself further into the sink then maybe you wouldn't have gotten rid yeah I feel like in some people's minds, there's like a romance. To oh God, I totally forgot there was a man in the <laughs> No, you're right. Like yeah. smoking, you know? At some point, yeah. it becomes socially unacceptable, and you can say that stinks. But for part of the people, it's like, oh, it's still cool. It's like how it used to be, and, and don't don't fuck it up. Well, yeah. It's like Trump. I hate to get on the Trump thing. No, we him, have to, yeah. Him, you know, saying, he said so many things about women in those situations like I hope my daughter if she anyone ever you know sexually abused her at work or was inappropriate she'd get another job like yes oh, oh the same daughter one of the brothers he, said, the same yeah. daughter who he said he, he would, would marry he would, he would basically he would date her yeah um yeah I, I think we could talk about this forever but we probably should wrap it up but right. I just want to say something I that I get thought, to bash Matt Lauer but okay I know uh, I want to say something I thought was really interesting in that Jill Soloway thing that's like a final thought where did you read that Jill Soloway article about yes. uh, the female gaze? Yeah. yeah. G-A-Z-E she makes a point of saying that G-A-Y-S but she said something that I'd never thought of before she said it makes sense that men had to diminish women women bled and didn't die and they didn't know what to do <laughs> and I thought that's something really really interesting, interesting to think about like early humans like, you know bleeding means death, and you see something bleed, and instead of making them... Well, you make them both. You make them mystical and less, which is, I think, always the problem with being a feminist is people think you're trying to make yourself more, and you're trying to lessen somebody, and it's like, we're just trying to be the same. Yeah, and right. it's... I, it finds, I find it very frustrating, because I think being put on a pedestal is just as damaging as being shoved into a sink and raped. It's the, they're they're equally damaging. Wait, that what is yeah. that what being put on a pedestal? Like oh it yeah, make, it holds a standard for you that you can never attain. Attain. Yeah, and it's. I've always thought that the closer a woman is to death, the more attractive she is. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, I'm she... saying from a man's point of view. <laughs> yeah. No, I've always thought that that like. No, I mean that the that the more the that, the more you represent dying. <laughs> the. Uh, the more that they're, they're already miss, they're already missing you, and that's that's as good as it gets. In other words, <laughs> oh, like that, like that, that really great Richard Gere, we know the writer movie where he's like in the arc. Oh yeah, they loved and love yeah. story. She's dying. dying. Yeah, love story. Yeah, no, it's good to be dying. Really elusive woman, they can't have. Yeah, she's dying and she's gaunt from all the chemo, so she's skinny and has her figure. <laughs> Well, Hot. yeah, yes, and she's yeah, she yeah. He doesn't agree, yeah, yeah. but I'm sorry. You... I didn't see it. <laughs> All right, let's go around the room really quick and uh, plug everyone's stuff. So we'll just go in a circle. So, Jean. Jean, would you have a shameless plug? Where can we follow you on Twitter, Jean? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ms. Black. M I S S or M I Z? It's a Ms. M S. Speaking of sex, at Ms. Black. All right. It's a delight. Jennifer Coolidge. Oh, what am I? I'm, uh, I'm, uh, Jen, uh, I'm the official Jen Coolidge, I guess, right? I'm the official Jen Coolidge at on my, on my um, Instagram, and then I'm on my Snapchat is like <laughs> Jen Coolidge without the E. We'll put it all on the website. Yeah, we'll all figure. Right, it. Never mind. Never mind. And you're always but on yeah. Two Broke Girls, correct? Yeah. Oh, uh, 
Yes, if you want to hear all of my, uh, you know, deep darkest thoughts, yes, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling them on the show. Uh, regular, no, no, it's like very, yeah, very scripted show that is is not. Uh, I'm not yeah. dark. Yeah. What? What? No, it's dark, but it's not. It's not. It's not this. Is so, there anything yeah. else you're plugging? Are you doing a play or stand up or anything people should go see in October or November? I have like a an hour monologue that I'm going to do on the corner of San Vicente <laughs> and La Brea. Oh, is there parking? And, um, There's parking all coming. No, I can't. No, rush got, hour? Huh? Yeah. All right, Chase. I, uh, you can find me at um, on Twitter at Chase History. I'm not going to spell it. Okay, well, C H A S Chase History, E E double E and and I never tweet. I never tweet. So good luck and enjoy. I'm, and I what? That's a very confusing. Story. Okay, C H A S E I S T R E E. And then I'm on Instagram as Chase Win. And I yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm doing nothing. You can come watch my tennis matches. Yes. Yeah, Westside League. Who wouldn't want to? No. Right. Oh, yeah. This is fun. Um, <laughs> So if, if you want to have many more conversations like these with yeah. other people in your life, maybe people you work with, yes. um, you can uh, find me through work at www.ldir.org um, or at Leaders for Action, the number four. So L-E-A-D-E-R-S, the number four, A-C-T-I-O-N. Yay. Yeah. And then we are Colleen uh, Smee on Twitter, C-O-L-L-E-E-N-S-M-I. I'm on Twitter at Mary Jo LA. We are on Twitter as a unit, though we never tweet from it. I occasionally tweet from it. Very rare. <laughs> my first time. My first time pod, pod. At my first time pod on Twitter for the podcast. And then we have our website, which is, and first is spelled out F I R S T. Same mm-hmm. with the website, myfirsttimepodcast.net. Uh, and that is. Pictures and bios, and some of the pictures, not all of them, will be by T Chick. Yes, transgender Ooh. photographer to the star. Who is one of our <laughs> producers and built their website and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Thank you so much for. Oh, and Ian? Uh, Ian! Ian Screams or Ian Screams, depending on your mood. <laughs> I like uh, Ian's Creams. That's what I'm going to uh, He has a lot of creams. And he's and Ian is the is responsible for the music that starts every Yes, podcast. yes. There will always be delightful, strange, and magical music at the beginning and end of each podcast that is all originally composed by Ian Smith. Is it going to be scary? It could be. It could be. I do have some haunty Halloween stuff. Well, oh. yeah, yeah, because it's October. Ooh, yeah. yeah. All right, now we're it. Thank you. Nothing is scarier than a feminist. So this is perfect. October 1st. This will be out October 1st. Tell your friends and hooray! Yay!